This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As mentioned on last week's show, we need to do some catching up, and today is the day. Thus, we're going to defer all guests, with the possible exception of Will Durst, until next week's show. We plan to bring you Dan Bacher, finally, to talk about water issues. Mark Anderson will be back to talk about some provocative new theories about what happened in Siberia back in 1908 with a vast explosion. Something we've talked about, the famous incident at Tunguska. And we expect to be joined by Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater to talk about what those wacky boys have been up to lately. And an event I attended in Los Angeles with both Norman Corwin and Ray Bradbury. This involved a dramatic presentation of, a, of a, basically a radio drama that included William Shatner, Samantha Egger, uh, Nor- the distinguished actor Norman Lloyd, and uh, Walter Koenig, who played Chekhov on the original Star Trek series. And I must say, I do find it a bit amusing to note that the first review I got of the new movie, Star Trek, came from Chekhov himself. When at the event, uh, my friend Bruce Bronstein asked him what he thought of it. He said, it's good. And yes, we are also planning to see it and report on, uh, report on that back to you. Because, dear listener, you are what this is all about. Begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date, of course, being May 14th. On this date in 1804, the famous expedition to Meriwether Lewis and William Clark left St. Louis on a mission to explore the American Northwest. The group included 28 men and one woman, a Native American named... Sacagawea, who made a pretty good $1 coin a few years back, by the way. Unfortunately, our gutless politicians did not take the necessary step of withdrawing the dollar bill from circulation, something they still rather desperately need to do. Anyway, on April 14, 1862, Adolf Nicole of Switzerland patented the chronometer, a timepiece by which split-second timing of sporting events can be done. I never thought about it, but I guess someone had to invent the stopwatch. And it was in this date in 1897 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that John Philip Sousa, the celebrated Portuguese-American composer, played his stirring march, The Stars and Stripes Forever, in public for the first time. U.S. President William McKinley attended the event, which was commemorating the unveiling of a statue of George Washington. And uh, another note for the politicians, when you get done getting the $1 bill out of circulation, please make the Stars and Stripes forever the national anthem. The fact that it has no words and cannot therefore be sung at ballgames is only a plus. Our quote of the day comes from Winston Churchill, who once said, The greatest lesson in life is to know that even fools are right sometimes. Apologies for the Churchill impression. Our quote of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, The New Hampshire Senate now has passed a bill that would legalize same-sex marriage in New Hampshire. So New Hampshire could go from the granite state to the tasteful marble countertop state. Bonus clip of the day, also from Jay Leno, is John Edwards said he feels that he and his wife are getting to a better place. Yeah. 
Actually, she is getting to a better place. He is looking for a smaller place. <laughs> our, our joke of the day comes from the latest email, 100 Reasons It's Great to Be a Guy. And this keeps recirculating every few years, but there was a couple new ones on here I thought I'd throw out. And we'll do eight or ten, mix of old and new. All right, a hundred reasons it's great to be a guy? Well, if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. Frankly, that's one I've enjoyed on many occasions. Okay, reasons it's great to be a guy? You think the idea of punting a small dog is funny. Reasons it's great to be a guy? Bachelor parties whip ass over bridal showers. Also, you never drive to another gas station because this one's just too yucky. Reasons it's great to be a guy? The world is your urinal. Also from the urologic department, with 400 million sperm per shot, you could double the Earth's population in 15 tries, at least in theory. Reasons it's great to be a guy? How about... You never feel compelled to stop a pal from getting laid. And final, final item from Reasons It's Great to Be a Guy, also from the sexology department. Not liking a person does not preclude having great sex with them. Men! 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 All right, stats of the day. Like I say, this is a catch-up show, and we've got the stats piling up. Let's do three or four. We might have done this one before, but it's, it's worth a second go if we did. The stat is, one in five military-age Americans is too fat to join the armed services. Though recruiters are scrambling to fill quotas, the military has turned away 48,000 overweight applicants since 2005, a number greater than all the U.S. troops fighting in Afghanistan. But in a related stat, and, and quote, I guess, uh, we should note that Jane Hurley of the Center for Science and the Public Interest labeled the Cold Stone Creamery's O-Fudge Milkshake food porn. Said Hurley, it's like slurping up two pounds of T-bone steak and a buttered baked potato through a straw. Yes, folks, this milkshake evidently contains 1,920 calories. The equivalent of sitting down and eating nine straight Hershey bars. Gee, I wonder why guys are too fat to get in the military. How about this stat? According to the environmental marketing agency TerraChoice, 98% of supermarket products touted as green are actually greenwashed. I know Dan Bacher said he wants to talk, to talk to us about that very topic when he comes on the show. Everyone greenwashes their product. In other words, tells you how environmentally friendly it is when it ain't necessarily so. Here's a stat uh, near and dear to the heart of anyone uh, contemplating a future career, you students out there. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, based on a 2007 National Compensation Survey among healthcare professionals, physicians in private practice... And working in private hospitals earned over $78 an hour, which I think puts them about $10 ahead of plumbers. Of course, the bar graph shows if you're a doctor working in a nonprofit, it's more like $53. And if you're working for state and local governments, it's more like $40. I just had some necessary papers reviewed by a lawyer this week, and it, I was charged $340 an hour. And yes, that, that was a friends and family rate. 
Because I hate to mention this, because if even one person listening to this program goes out and applies to law school, well, it, it won't make my day. So please don't send an email to info at Radio Parallax letting me know, okay? No, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go into medicine because, you know, you expect to get rich. But $78 an hour, I, I, I'm pretty sure, is about what doctors were getting about the time I started medical school. It has remained flat ever since, so that vast sums of money could be taken by the suitcase out of medicine by administrators, the people in pharmaceuticals, and, of course, the insurance companies. Like patients in America, doctors are pretty unhappy, too, and for good reason. But let's move on. We're thinking about adding a new feature to the show called uh, Word of the Day. So I noticed New Scientist Magazine is including a, a new word in every issue. So let, let's take one of their choices and make it ours. The word is flotsometrics. It refers to the use of floating trash, such as a huge consignment of training shoes that washed off a cargo ship in 1990 to study ocean currents. The word comes from a book of the same name by Curtis Ebsmeyer, and we are in fact seeking Mr. Ebsmeyer for this program. We're having to track him down through the publisher, so it makes take some time, but I, I think we'll get him. While we have him, we're going to ask him about the giant mass of degraded plastic floating out in the ocean. We do know, according to the Times, that uh, although oceanographer Charles Moore has said trying to clean it up would bankrupt any country, apparently uh, some folks are going out to, to try and clean up this giant mass of, uh, of degraded plastic under the North Pacific. That operation should begin in June. And so anyway, I hope we can talk to Mr. Ebsmeyer about that. Actually, new scientists start this a few weeks ago. Let's do another word from, from theirs. We'll make it a bonus word today. The word was agnotology. It's defined as the study of deliberately created ignorance, such as the falsehoods about evolution that are spread by creationists. We also have a story about that we're trying to run down about, uh, about American River College. Apparently some wacko on the student council was uh, out there disrupting uh, biology classes to try and bring up creationist issues. And by the way, it's uh, our firm belief on Radio Parallax that creationism does need to be addressed in biology classes. After you spent the 35 or 40 seconds it takes to completely cover the topic, one can then move on. Right, well, should we do the good and the bad, the ugly, or should we do follow-up? Uh, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Saudi Arabian children after that nation's embarrassed government said it would consider banning marriage for girls under 18. The possible policy change follows an international outcry over news that an 8-year-old Saudi girl had been married to and then granted a divorce from a man in his 50s. You just can't say that strides are not being made in Saudi Arabia. You know, they banned slavery there in 1962. And in case you've forgotten, I just think it might be worth mentioning that 15 of the 19 hijackers who attacked us on 9-11 were Saudi. 
All right. Um, it was a bad week last week for riding under the influence. When a man in a cowboy hat riding his horse through a Denver suburb got pulled over and charged with being drunk. Police said deciding what to do with the horse was a tricky call. Noting that in drunken driving cases, you can tow a car. The problem was evidently resolved by the stable owner giving the horse and its rider a lift home. And uh, finally, it was an ugly week. Really, actually, a chilling week, I would say, for gourmets. After some re after researchers, it doesn't say where, it just says researchers, presented volunteers with five types of mashed-up food. These included pâté de foie gras, duck liver mousse, and dog food. And sadly, <laughs> tests showed that only three out of 18 volunteers were able to correctly distinguish the dog food from pâté, mousse, and liverwurst. <laughs> All right, one item from the Only in America file. You think with 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 80% of the world's lawyers, they'd have found one that would have handled this story better. But apparently, a New York court has ruled that golfers are not legally required to shout for. Apparently, a Dr. Aznad Anand lost an eye when a friend, Dr. Anup Kapoor, struck him with a shanked shot back in 2002. Anad sued Kapoor for damages, claiming he should have yelled the traditional golfer's warning. But the state appellate court this week sided with Kapoor, ruling that the danger of getting hit is an inherent risk in the game of golf. Personally, I think that's a pretty lame ruling. If the normal precaution is to shout before before you whack a golf ball at like 150 miles an hour, it seems like the, you know you should be held accountable. God, and I can't believe I'm siding with the trial lawyers. All right, another item from the Only in America file. Apparently, though it's been just over 100 days since he left office with a record low approval rating, George Bush has already raised more than $100 million for his presidential library at SMU. Personally, I find the idea of a George W. Bush library sort of analogous to a vegan steakhouse. But apparently he's, uh, he's busy at work uh, composing his memoirs, which he's going to get a very uh, hefty which he's getting a hefty advance for. You know, we've said this before in this program, and it's time to say it again. We firmly believe at Radio Parallax that before you write a book, you should read one. All right, let's do some follow-up. We talked about uh, the Russian arms merchant Victor Boot last year. We're planning to do a follow-up. Boot's currently in custody, I think, in Thailand. But apparently writing in Russia, columnist Rusian Gorovoy commented that when it comes to international arms trading, the U.S. simply does not play fair. The U.S. and Russia are the world's largest exporters of weapons, and the rivalry between the two is as big as their profits. Which explains, said Gorovoy, why the U.S., still the number one weapons exporter, constantly tries to force Russia to stop selling arms to this or that country under the pretext that the purchasing regime is not sufficiently democratic. He notes that's nonsense when you consider that the Americans themselves never hesitate to sell merchandise to anyone, including African cannibals. And yes, in fact, people with automatic weapons in Africa are engaging in cannibalism. But I'm not sure Mr. Gorvey is uh, 
Gorovoy is correct in assuming that it's the American weapons that are involved. Anyway, uh, we've been pretty tough on the Republicans on this program, even though we have a great deal of respect for many individual Republicans. It's just that some years back, the party seems to have been captured by the Mussolini wing. But uh, in fairness, I must say, I'm taking great pleasure in the woes of former Senator John Edwards, simply because he's just such an oily weasel. He made his millions for his run at becoming, uh, at least I guess for one term, a North Carolina senator by being just the classic shyster lawyer, cherry-picking the cases that he could sue for medical malpractice for the maximum amounts of money. So it's with some glee I note that federal investigators are examining the financial records of the former Democratic presidential candidate to determine if campaign funds were used to facilitate his affair with a staffer. I love his carefully worded statement about this. I am confident that no funds from my campaign were used improperly. However, I know that it is the role of government to ensure that this is true. We have made available to the United States both the people and the information necessary to help them get the issue resolved efficiently and in a timely manner. Yeah, apparently Edwards' wife is on a book tour currently talking about all of this while trying to avoid the fact that uh, he apparently knocked up the staffer. Her book tour is being described as excruciatingly painful to watch, and thankfully I've managed to avoid, I've managed to avoid watching it. But wouldn't it be great if we could see you know, him in a jail cell next to Dick Cheney one day? Well, I think it would. Maybe be good to note that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, any of our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. By the way, I was chatting with the wife of one of the UC regents a couple of weeks back, and uh, we might be able to bring one on the show. I think that'd be interesting. You know, speaking of senators, as I, as I guess we just were, I love this headline. Louisiana-born porn star may run for U.S. Senate. Yes, apparently Stormy Daniels strode on the stage at LSU recently and introduced herself with a warning. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'd suggest that you don't Google that until you get home from work. But uh, reporter Kevin McGill described her as a Louisiana-born porn star who's considering a 2010 run for the U.S. Senate seat currently held by the Republican David Vitter whose family values reputation was somewhat marred in 2007 when his name was linked to a Washington, D.C. prostitution ring. Daniels, 30, insists she's serious and is spending her own money on a listening tour to hear what people have to say. And you know, we're talking about folks we're going to bring on this show, uh, all show long so far. I think Stormy Daniels needs to be put on the to-do list. You know, Daniels apparently favors bringing troops back uh, sooner from Iraq, so, you know, we like her. Uh, Senator David Vitter's office is refusing comment about this potential uh, challenge. Uh, Vitter has steadfastly refused to discuss the, quote, serious sin, unquote, that he confessed to after his phone number was linked to Deborah Palfrey, a Vallejo woman, and the so-called D.C. Madam, who ran a prostitution ring that catered to the powerful. And you know, I want to give a thumbs up to New York Senator Charles Schumer. He's calling for a federal investigation into robo-dialer harassment. I don't know about you, but I've gotten about 50 calls talking about the final notice that the factory warranty on my vehicle is about to expire, blah, blah, blah. 
I think the uh, manufacturers are exploiting a loophole that allows them to contact you if you have an ongoing business relationship. But you know, yeah, I bought the car, the warranty expired. No, I don't want to extend it. Now quit calling me. So Schumer, if you can get these guys to stop, good on you. All right, let's take a break. Uh, Final item, I think, would be uh, the question of names. We've noted how celebrities in Hollywood seem to have a habit of giving their kids really weird names. With the cake perhaps being taken by Penn Gillette's daughter named Moxie Crime Fighter. And again, there's director Robert Rodriguez, who named his kids alliteratively Rocket, Racer, Rebel, Rogue, and Rhiannon. Well, I can tell you, none of this stuff's going to fly in China. China's planning to release a list of approved names, and people whose names aren't on the list will have to change theirs. The authorities said that restrictions are necessary because the government is switching from handwritten ID cards to computer-readable cards with photos and microchips. The computers will only be programmed to read a certain number of characters, so exotic names will be unacceptable. It's been noted that China does have a limited number of surnames. For example, 92 million people are named Wang. This has prompted Chinese parents in recent years to give their children unusual first names as a way to make them feel special. But said linguistics professor Wang Daliang, but said linguistics professor Wang Daliang, disapprovingly, the computer cannot even recognize them and people cannot read them. This has become an obstacle in communication. And I guess an obstacle in registration if your name is Wang Moxie Crime Fighter. All right, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 